Good morning again. Today we're continuing our series, Transmission, uh, which we started last week. And the idea here is that God transmitted a message through His Son Jesus 2,000 years ago that changed the world. And that message is still the message that we have today. Uh, And that message is is the one that we have the responsibility to to retransmit to a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. Um, And so... For a lot of us, the idea that this message, that, that God sent His Son to the earth to live a sinless life and then to die for us, a bunch of sinners, to take our sins with Him to the cross, to take our punishment that He didn't deserve, that message, when, when we consider that it's our mission to spread that message, for a lot of us that makes us uncomfortable. That makes us uncomfortable. Now, we don't like being uncomfortable. How many of us experience some sort of uncomfortable situation? Obviously, that's everybody. How many have had an uncomfortable situation already today? Probably a lot of us. My guess is that we could sit around all day and tell stories of uncomfortable situations from our lives, because a lot of uncomfortable situations end up being funny in hindsight. Now, the truly uncomfortable ones don't. Those are the things we just don't talk about anymore. But uncomfortable situations tend to be things we can, we can tell stories later. Well, let me tell you this time, and then somebody tries to one-up you. Well, I had a much worse experience than you, and it was totally uncomfortable. And somewhere down the line, my guess is if we sat around talking about that all day, we'd tell somebody else the story of the day we all sat around and talked about uncomfortable stories and how uncomfortable that was. And, and listen, I'm, I'm a pastor, and as a pastor, I must say, I'm not always prepared for the uncomfortable situations that I'm called into or that I walk into. Um, and I love every minute of it. Don't, don't take this the wrong way. But sometimes as a part of ministry, as a part of being a pastor, we can't help but end up in uncomfortable situations. People call us into places of their life where um, they might not call the average person to be. And, and we do things and we see things and we are in situations that we just, just aren't prepared for. And that's okay. Let me tell you a story um, about that. I, I appreciate the clear and obvious signage in Winchester Medical Center. And if you disagree with me, that's okay. But I appreciate the clear and obvious signage, and and this story is why I appreciate it. We lived in Ohio. Uh, The two main hospitals that our members would go to, they were actually across the river uh, in Kentucky. And so I did a lot of hospital calls in Ohio, a lot of hospital calls, because like the the senior pastor would go, and then later the week, if somebody was still in the hospital, they'd send me, and then they'd send me again. And so I was two or three times a week sometimes, just going to visit all these different people at the hospital. It was a very older congregation, and so people were in the hospital a lot. And, uh, and so I spent a ton of time over there. You would think that that would help me find my way around. You would think that. And so one day I went over to the larger of the two, which, believe it or not, had the worst signage. And, you know, even if, even if you can't find your way around, usually there's somebody to ask, but this day everything must have just happened perfectly. And so I, I knew the room number. I knew where I was supposed to be going. I headed into the hospital, thought I knew where I was going. It was one of those deals where it was like, if the room number was 450, I could find 448, but I couldn't go any farther than that. Like, that was the end of a hallway, so I'm going, what What happened? And so I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm walking around, and and there are a lot of unmarked doors, and that makes me nervous because it's a hospital. And I'll never forget the time I rode down on an elevator on accident, and I know I wasn't at the morgue, but when you get to the basement of a hospital, you pretty much feel like you're already there. Um, some of you have been to the basement. All right. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out because I'm like, I really need to, like, I need to see this person. Like, that's my job. I need to go pray with them. They're in the hospital. They need somebody to come sit with them. And I'm not finding it. And I'm not finding anybody to help me. And I'm wandering around. 
And I've got my clergy badge on, and I look confused. And so you'd think somebody would help a confused preacher, but it didn't happen. And so I'm wandering around, and I, I somehow ended up in like this, I, I can only call it kind of an alcove. And it, it was kind of a rounded area, and there were doors like kind of all around me. And I'm like, all right, I got to go through one of these doors. And a couple of them were marked, and it wasn't where I was trying to get, and a couple of them weren't. And so I finally decided I was just going to go for it. Now, there are areas of the hospital you can't just walk into. There are areas, and there are areas where my clergy badge would have got me if it needed to, but there are places you just can't go. And so I went through this door, and I'm walking down the hall, and it's still not obvious until I realized I have somehow found a back way into the ICU. I don't know how I did it, but you shouldn't just be able to walk into the ICU. To make matters worse, that door was not one I could get back out. Once I, I, don't ask me how it happened. So I had to go out past the nurse's station where I should have signed in, and I, I, it was one of those crisis of conscience moments where I was like, do I say something, or do I just slip on by? Pretty sure I just slipped on by. And so it was super awkward, and honestly, I cannot tell you whether or not I ever actually got to that person's room. I have no recollection of that, because the only thing I'll always remember about that is how uncomfortable that was. To be lost in a hospital was not, was not comfortable. And that tends to be the way that it happens for us. We remember uncomfortable situations because they are situations we don't enjoy being in. We like our comfort. And so we don't embrace those awkward moments. And since sharing the message of Jesus, sharing our faith, or even inviting people to church has the potential to be awkward, it has the potential to be an uncomfortable moment for us, um, it's something that we try to avoid pretty often. And yet it's what we're called to do. We're called to share the gospel. Last week we talked about how we, we need to serve God on mission in community. That, that was kind of our focus. And we talked about how communities are at their best when they have a common mission and how mission is best accomplished when it's a group of people that are in community together. But today we're going to talk more about that mission and try to answer this question. How do we share the message of Jesus? How do we retransmit this amazingly important, life-changing message, because I think we have to first admit how important the message is. If Jesus has changed your life, if you have a relationship with God, that should matter enough to you that you would want other people to have that, that same experience, and yet we hesitate, and we make excuses, and, and we're too scared to do it. And there are a bunch of ways to do it. I mean, we could just simplify this. We could just say, well, you just need to tell somebody about Jesus. You just got to tell them. But I think we all know it's not that easy. In fact, let me illustrate it this way. Um, if I said this morning that we're going to stop right here and we're going to circle up in groups of three or four and everyone in the room today is going to share their faith story with those people, most of you would stand up and head for the back door. You wouldn't stand up and group up because the idea, even amongst people you might know, the idea of grouping up and sharing your faith story with people who already know you at least go to church because here you are, that would freak us out. And so even further, the idea that someone in our life who's not a believer, who, who's not a follower of Christ, that we would want to have that conversation, it, it scares us. And I won't actually do that to you this morning. Um, I thought about trying to make you believe that's what exactly was going to happen, but I feel like we'd finally utilize the emergency exits because you'd be gone. You'd be gone. But it's scary. Even amongst people we know, it would be scary to think, I'm going to have to share my faith story about why I follow Jesus. And some of us might be comfortable with that, don't get me wrong, but most of us would not be. Study after study shows that most Christians have never really 
shared their faith with anybody. Now, I want to differentiate here between like a full-on, like I'm sharing my faith, I'm telling my story of how I came to know Jesus, and just inviting someone to church. Those are two different things. But most studies indicate somewhere around 90% of Christ followers have never really shared their faith. I hope that's wrong. But I don't know that it is. I don't know that it is. I would say that that more than 10% of Christ followers have at least invited someone to church, but but this is next level. This is having those conversations, sharing your heart with someone, why you believe with someone. This is a different level. It's a different level. But one thing that's extremely important for us to understand is that we don't have to be experts to share our faith. We don't have to have it all together to share our faith. We don't have to be the most bold and confident person in the world to share our faith. If you are a Christ follower, chances are you have compassion for the people in your life who don't know Jesus. I'm sure that you care about them. But it can be difficult to have those conversations. No matter how much you care, making that step, that's the tough part. No matter how difficult or uncomfortable it can be, and it absolutely can be, here's the thing. This This is one of the most important things we'll say today. God has given us the privilege to share the gospel with others. And I don't use that word, you know, flippantly. Privilege is the word I wanted to use there. Yes, it's a responsibility. Yes, it's a calling. All of those things are true. But God has given us the privilege to share the gospel with others. This story, again, it is a responsibility for us. It's a calling. But but it's not just something we have to do. It's something we get to do. We get to tell a cool story. I, I love to hear a good story. We have the best story. God has given us the privilege to share the gospel with other people. We need to see it that way. Difficult or not, awkward or not, it's an amazing privilege and it's what we're called to do. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says this, And then Jesus told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. He was pretty clear what he wanted his disciples to do, and I believe that's still our calling. Sometimes we we treat evangelism or sharing the gospel or telling people about Jesus, however you want to phrase it, we treat it as a nice thought or a good idea. We're like, oh yeah, that's something we should do, sure. But it's not an option for someone who claims to follow Jesus to not be concerned or to not care for people who are far from God. This isn't just a nice thought. This isn't just something we should do. God has called us not only to keep the message strong inside these walls and in our own hearts, but he's called us to take that same message outside of these walls and to get it out of our hearts to the people around us. And you might be wondering why there's a Coke bottle sitting up here. Some of you are like, I'm thirsty. Maybe he's going to give it away. Um, it's here for a reason. How many of you enjoy Coke? Let's, let's just for fun. How many of you prefer Pepsi? <laughs> just, I didn't do that for a service, but I was um, Better question for the illustration here. How many of you have at least tried Coke? Almost everybody. That's, that's what I think. There, there's a reason that you've at least tried Coke, and it, it most likely at least a little bit has something to do with a guy named Robert Woodruff. Robert Woodruff once said these words. He said, We will see that every man in uniform, this was during World War II, that every man in uniform gets a bottle of Coca-Cola for five cents wherever he is and whatever it costs. Which is a nice thought that becomes even more effective when you understand that at the time that he said that, he was the president of Coca-Cola. And so when he said, We will see that every man in uniform gets a bottle of Coke for five cents wherever they are, whatever it costs, he meant it. He meant it. 
And he would later say this after the war ended. He said that in his lifetime, he wanted everyone in the world to have a taste of Coca-Cola. That was his vision. And, and the fact that you all have at least tried Coke, that Coke still exists, that Coke's still a worldwide consumed beverage, means that his vision was basically realized, which is pretty cool. You know, he, he wanted everybody to experience Coke, and he made it happen. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have it, it's the greatest news in the world. It's better than Coke or Pepsi, whatever you want to go with. But a vision for reaching the world, much like what he had for Coke, is what Jesus called his disciples to, and it's what we're called to today. That everyone would know. That everyone would experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Now, typically people care about the same things that their friends care about. I think it's one of the things that may connect us most deeply to one another, is when you find a common thing that you care about. It's a sign of connections between people when we can you know, come alongside somebody in care for what they believe is important. And if Jesus cares for and loves people that don't know him yet, I believe that those same people we should also care about. And that as we grow in our faith, it should lead us to caring more and more for people who are far from Jesus. Does that make sense? See, Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13, says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And, and so we read the beginning of that verse and we say, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Awesome. More people should do that. And it sounds easy, and we like the sound of it, and then we start reading, and we're like, but how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And to believe in him, something else is going to happen. They have to hear about him, and uh-oh, this might be on me. And it goes from being a verse that sounds nice to a verse that might challenge me to do something out of my comfort zone. You see, I think what happens is that we do, we do one of two things when it comes to our hesitation to tell other people about Jesus. And there may be some other things, but these are kind of the two main ones. Um, I think we, either we assume or hope that someone else will tell this particular person, you know, maybe that we know needs Jesus, oh, somebody else will probably invite him to church sometime, or somebody else will tell him about Jesus, it'll be okay. Or we wait for the perfect time to tell them. We're like, ah, it's not really, I don't really want to do this at work. Maybe if we're like hanging out socially, that'd be a better time for me to bring it up or something like that. And we say like, oh, I'm waiting for the perfect time. Whether that means we're, we're waiting for them to bring it up, I think we do that. We, maybe they'll start talking about spiritual things and then I'll give me a window in. Well, if they need Jesus, are they going to bring up spiritual things? I don't know. Or maybe we're waiting for the perfect event at church to invite them to, that, and then we can hopefully start the con- conversation. It, it's not good. And, and the problem is... If, if it's the first option, that we hope somebody else will do it, the question then becomes, am I willing to stake that person's eternity on the hope and the chance that somebody else will share Jesus with them? I don't know if I want that responsibility. But the second one, I think, is the tougher one, because we, we think we're going to wait for the perfect moment to tell, tell them about Jesus, and, and in that, we have great intentions. Let me tell you a story, um, and you can judge me. Feel free, because I judge myself on this regularly. I'm not like old-fashioned, but I believe there are certain things that are traditional that are good. And I believe that, I believe this, that a man should ask, when he's going to ask a woman to marry him, he should ask her father, if possible, first. I believe that. I think that's important. 
And so when Stacy and I were dating and I, I had the ring and I knew I was going to propose, I kept waiting for the right moment. I kept waiting for the right moment to ask her dad. And it's not that I'm scared of him. <laughs> he's not bigger than me. But he's a construction worker. And he has guns. <laughs> and like... Not that I, but just some, it's an intimidating conversation. Some of you have been there. And so I waited and I waited and I waited and I kept thinking there's going to be a good time. And, and we didn't live near each other at the time. We, you know, we were both in college away from each other and away from where our parents lived. And so there were very few opportunities where I was actually around them. And I knew that our parents liked me. And I kept waiting and I kept waiting and I kept waiting. And, and this is where you get to judge me. I never asked because I kept waiting for the right moment to do so. And the right moment never came. But if I'm honest with you and I look back, I would say, you know, I had plenty of opportunities. The problem was I, was I was the one that wanted to define what the right moment was. And I think we do that with the people in our lives who need to know Jesus. We say, well, I'm waiting for the right moment. I'm waiting for them to bring it up. I'm waiting for... Who decides what the right moment is? The right moment is while they're still alive, and right now is the only moment you know that's the case. And so we, we, we use those excuses and we wait for the perfect moment and we say, I hope somebody else talks to and we do that. But God made us to tell others about him. He gave us that capacity, that drive. It's not our calling to wait until everything's perfect or to wait until we're ready or to wait until we're comfortable. Listen, it's probably going to be uncomfortable. That's okay. It's too important to let that stand in the way. It's too important for us to continue to ignore telling other people about Jesus, telling them that he died for them, that God loves them, that they can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, those things are too important for us to not share them. It is our calling to help people discover how God has already been working in their lives and is working in their life right now to help people discover that there is a better life beyond this life and this broken world. We have to understand the importance We'll never care to make sure we actually know what to say. And so that becomes the other question is how do we how do we tell a story? What if we don't know what to say? What if you know what if we're Moses and we don't speak well? We're like, yeah, God, I don't really talk that good. Well, God'll help. What if my story's too simple? What if I grew up in the church and I don't really have a great story about how I came to know Jesus? Because he's just always kind of been a part of my life. Honestly, that's that's my story. It's a common issue to say, I don't really have an impressive story, so why would anybody ever believe that this matters because of me? Well, 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If this matters to you, then you have to be ready to explain to somebody why. It's too important. And there are specific things that can help us. There's no... Like, here's what you say to bring somebody to Jesus. I, I don't go in for all that. There are people that have tried to make, like, this is how you bring somebody to Jesus. Different people are different. Different people learn different ways and communicate different ways and experience things in different ways. And so there, there's no cut and dry way to do this. But I can share with you three kind of things that you should be ready to talk about if you're going to share Christ with somebody. And really, it's, it's best looked at by answering three questions to yourself. The first one is this. What was my life like before I met Jesus? This is, this is extremely important. You need to be able to articulate, if you can, what your life was like before you met Jesus. 
Now, you don't have to glorify all the details. Some of us have different before Jesus's than everybody else. Some of us had what seemed like much more fun before Jesus's than everybody else. And, and so I, you don't want to get caught up in those details because I've, I've heard people give testimonies where by the end of the, the testimony, all you learned was they're not fun anymore, but they used to be. <laughs> because they spent a lot of time talking about all the things they used to do, but now I don't do those things, I just go to church. <laughs> and to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, that's like, no, wait a minute, which one are you trying to sell me on? And so you, you need to be able to explain, listen, my life was different before I met Jesus. My life was not as full without Jesus or whatever it is in your life that he's changed in you. We need to be willing to talk about life before becoming a Jesus follower. We need to answer questions like this. Where, where was I finding hope and purpose before Jesus? What was I living for before I met Jesus? And, and, and if you're going to share this, it doesn't have to take very long. But, but you have to make it clear to somebody that there was a time when I wasn't following Jesus and it was, it was a different part of my life. And I don't want to go back to that. It's an extremely important part of your story. Question number two that you need to ask yourself then is, when did I realize I needed Jesus? Because that, that what was my life like without Jesus, ended at some point. At some point, there was a moment or an experience where you realized that you needed Jesus. Where you realized that something needed to change. And we need to be willing to share that, to talk about that. What led up to it? If possible, if we can explain the important moment, whether it was a big moment or a quiet moment on your own, whether you were in a big crowd of people or, or maybe just you opened the Bible one day, whatever it was, sharing that moment that you decided that you were going to surrender your life to Jesus, that, that goes a long way. Sharing with somebody how that happened, it's important. It tells them something they need to hear. And, and details are good in this part of the story. Where you were, what you were thinking, how you were feeling. If you can paint a picture of the, that moment in your life to them with your words, it may have more effect than you realize. It's the most important moment of your life. It should be. So you should be willing to explain that to somebody. And then the third question is this. How am I being changed? How is God continuing to work in me? We never want to come across to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus as somebody who thinks they have it all together, because guess what? We don't. And so God continues to work in us, and we need to be willing to share that. We need to be willing to say, this is, this is what's changed in me from before I knew Jesus to now, and this is what's changed in me from last week to now, because God is constantly working in my life. Even if the changes in our lives aren't drastic, even if they're little things, they still are a huge part of the story of us following God. And it's something that we have to show to somebody to say, this is why it matters. This is what it means for my life. I hope you realize it means that for your life too. I think sometimes we overcomplicate sharing the gospel. I think we overcomplicate it. We overthink it. We we, we just assume that it's not simple, that it's complicated, and that somebody's going to ask us too many questions. We're not going to know the answers. They're going to trip us up on something about you know, Revelation or something about creation or the ark. They'll get us stuck on Noah's ark or something like that. And we, we psych ourselves out. Honestly, the best tool you have to share Jesus with somebody is your experience with Jesus. And no one, no one, can outthink you on that story. No one can turn that story around on you. No one can, can disprove that story because it's your story of how you came to know Jesus. 
what was my life like before I met Jesus? When did I realize I needed Jesus and how am I being changed? It's a strong message. No matter what that looks like in your life. And we have to remember that, that the message we have, the gospel, has, has for, for a, a long time been a very spreadable message, if that makes sense. This is not an undesirable message. This is not a negative message. This is something that people should want. And yet sometimes we act like we're trying to sell them spam. We assume nobody's going to want to buy that. Although spam's still on the shelf, so that's, I don't, doesn't make sense. But we act like it's something bad, like, well, I kind of want to tell you about Jesus, but you might not like him. <laughs> it's Jesus. He died for us. Like this, this, we, we, we flip it around, and we overcomplicate it, and we put too much pressure on ourselves. Listen, we talked about it last week in the, in the early church, which we spent a ton of time talking about last week. This is what's written about them in Acts 2.47. The second half of that verse says this, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is a desirable message. It's very spreadable. It spread like wildfire back then. I think sometimes we're just in our own way. But if we understand nothing else today, we need to understand that what we do with the message of Jesus while we are on this earth matters. It matters. What we do with it matters because we have the knowledge we possess the information. And so what we turn around and do with that matters. I, uh, I have small children, and they are selfish sometimes. I'm just being honest. They may have learned it from me. I don't know. But a, a toy that belongs to a certain child of mine who shall remain nameless because really it could be any of them, that toy will sit on the same spot on the couch in the living room all day. No one played with it. It sits there. And at around 7 p.m., after the toy has sat there for literally 12 hours or more, because my kids get up way too early, another child, who shall remain nameless, because again, it could be any of them, will come by and pick up that toy. And without fail, immediately, the first child who the toy belongs to will freak out. That is my toy. I was about to play with that toy. It has been sitting there for 12 hours. You were not about to play with it. Some of you have children or have had to eat. You get it. It happens. They all have plenty of toys, way too many. And yet in their minds, they need to keep all of their own toys to themselves while their siblings should freely let them play with, with their stuff. And we could chalk that up to them being kids. We absolutely could because a lot of it has to do with that. And yet a lot of us hold on to the message of Jesus like it's something that we have to keep to ourselves, like it's something to be contained in us, like it's something to be held inside, to be kept in a safe place. But that's not what we're supposed to do with this message. We have been called to look at people, the people in our lives and beyond, through the eyes of Jesus. And when Jesus looked out upon the city of Jerusalem, this, this is what we read, he saw. In Matthew chapter 9, beginning verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. 
we, we have a garden, and I've talked about this from time to time during sermons, and if some of you pulled in and parked on this side this morning, you would have looked at my garden and said, I don't think anything could survive in there, because we're really bad about weeding. Gardens are a good idea until you have to work on them, right? Yeah, some of you have been there. Um, but believe it or not, there is stuff growing in there, I promise. And so I've been going out to water, and we've got some tomatoes coming on, and Tomatoes are kind of one of the easier things to spot that are actually coming on because when they turn red, they really pop, you know, color-wise out of it. And so we had this one that was pretty good size. I was, I don't even like tomatoes, and I was excited because it was cool that here's this big tomato that survived our not very good gardening. And it started to turn red, but it wasn't ready to be picked yet, and so I'd go out and water it, and I'd look a little, ah, not quite, and I'd look. And <clears throat> then a couple days um, went by where I wasn't watering, Stacy was, and so I, I finally asked her, I said, hey, is that big tomato ready yet? She said, well, I... I think it started to rot on the bottom. Again, I don't, you know, I don't care about tomatoes, but I was disappointed. You know, we waited too long. We waited for that perfect moment to pick the tomato, and, and, and we missed it. And I think that's what we do with the people in our lives who need to know Jesus. We say, we're, we're waiting. There's going to be a perfect time, and we're going to know when it is. And I'm, I'm not trying to be dark here, but every day, people die that don't know Jesus. It's a simple fact. And there's a good chance that someone in their life knew Jesus and knew them and should have made the introduction. And there have absolutely been people in my life who, who, who have passed on, who are no longer with us, that I don't think knew Jesus. And like I just said, I, I knew Jesus and I knew them I didn't, I didn't make the introduction. We make excuses. We wait. We're too scared. Whatever it is, when I, when I read those verses, I, I see that Jesus was moved with a vision to seek and save the lost, which is what we're also called to if we can get out of our own way. And so we have to be willing to ask ourselves the tough questions. And here are the tough questions. Who are we reaching out to with the love of Jesus? Who in the last week have we shown the love of Jesus to? Because if that list is short, we may need to work on that. Who are we bringing to church with us? If it has been forever since you brought somebody to church, since you invited somebody to church, you can't make them come. That wouldn't be a good idea. But since you invited somebody who somebody came, who can be on that list that you need to invite? Who even knows that you follow Jesus? Or actually, the tougher question, who even knows you go to church? Ask yourself the honest question at work or school or wherever you spend most of your time. If I asked people around, would they know that you even go to church? Because I can tell you, this one has always hit me heavily. Because in high school, I know that I lived a double life about as well as anybody could. I was involved in church. I was leading. I was doing worship stuff. I was at everything gone on summer trips all the time, but I managed to, to live my life in such a way as a high school student that if you had gone to my school and asked the right people, you could have asked quite a few people in a row, does he go to church? And they would have said, eh. no idea. Not proud of that at all. But we have to be willing to ask ourselves those tough questions. And I never asked myself those tough questions back then. I would have said, well, it doesn't matter. Do the people in our lives know that we follow Jesus? 
is it really that important to us? Towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life, on his way to Jerusalem, and you have to understand that when he was on his way to Jerusalem here, he knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was not long for this world because they were out to get him. That was just something he understood. And so he was headed to Jerusalem. He knew he was going to be arrested, and it wasn't a good thing. And yet, here's what he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He said, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. On his way to be arrested. I wish I could be more optimistic. But I don't think Paul was an optimist. I just think his confidence was that strong in God. He said, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. You and I have the opportunity, countless opportunities every day, to tell someone that their life matters to God. And that Jesus died for them. That they have a hope that this world can never come close to providing. We have opportunities every day to invite someone to church and to start them down that path and help and lead them to Jesus. We have opportunities and we miss them, we make excuses, we do all those things. But the only thing that matters is this. Are we willing to say, yes, we really do want to be a part of the mission to reach the world? Because either we do that or we just sit comfortably in our seat. And we show up every Sunday and we sit. We might go to a life group and that's great and that's wonderful. We might serve at a project. But, but other than that, we're just pretty comfortable in how our Christianity looks right now. Or we can be on a mission. There are people in your life who need to know God loves them. Jesus died for them. Made a way for them. Spend eternity with him. Got to be on mission. Let's pray. God, we are extremely skilled at making excuses. We are very good at procrastinating. We are experts at avoiding situations. And God, I'm afraid we use those skills a little too often with those in our lives that need to know you. And God, I pray that whatever stands between us and, the, and, and saying what needs to be said to the people in our lives that need to know you, whatever that is, I pray that you get it out of the way for us. God, it's probably something different for each of us. For me, I know it's, it's just the fear that it's going to be an awkward conversation, which is Ridiculous to be that scared of it. So God, I pray that you would help me to deal with that. But whatever it is that's standing between us and that willingness, I pray that you'd help us to, to gain boldness, to get the confidence we need in you. God, we believe that when we're sharing you with somebody else, when we're speaking in your name in any way, that you're with us, that you're giving us the words and the strength. And God, not everybody's going to be receptive to the message. We know that. They can't respond unless they hear. And they may not hear if we don't tell them. So 
I pray that we would be bold with the people in our lives. God, as we move into a time of communion, you know, that really is the message we have to share, what, what Jesus did on that cross, what you did by sending him to take our sins, the most amazing thing that could ever be done for us. And for that, we're thankful, and I pray that that would be our focus as we take communion together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.